Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the Iowa Agronomy Update. We're uh, we're sitting on April fifth now, and uh, we got a lot of topics that we uh, can cover here today. And I brought in a couple of our experts. We got uh, old friend of the podcast, John Swalwell. Hey, John, how are you? Did you just call me old? Old old friend, <laughs> old friend, John. I'm old, good. Okay, uh, and a, and a new friend of the podcast, uh, Craig Lamore. Craig is a uh, field advancement specialist in Northwest Iowa for soybeans and and a market development representative there in Storm Lake. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thank you very much, Brent. Good to be here. Great. Hey, so <clears throat> let's. I think the number of topics that we'll get started with is. Is probably the one that's it's hanging around a lot, and we've been thinking about it since uh, harvest of last year. Has been probably soybean uh, quality. Uh, we saw a lot of pictures floating around last year of you know the beans that were coming into co-ops and and how ugly they looked and and what damage and what they were getting dinged and docked for at the uh, at the scale there, but. A lot of our minds as we advance products automatically go to the seed acres and what did that you know what did that snowball effect mean for quality down the road and so John I I just got the call myself this week that hey my beans are in they're tagged at 85 percent so now now what do I do right and that, I think that's a, probably a, a lot of questions going around like that so do I bump my popula- population up now 15 percent or what are some scenarios there well, there's a couple things to unpack there. First of all, um, you know, typically uh, a bean is just going to be tagged at 90% to start with, even if it is above that. Um, if you're tagged at 85, that means it's at least 85. So it could be as high as 88 or 89. Um, the other thing that I would bring up is that there are a lot of things that um, make the difference between your seeded population and your final stand. So to expect that your final stand is going to be 5% less because your beans are 5% less germ than what they normally are is probably not true. Um, I think, you know, for me, I probably wouldn't make an adjustment at that as long as I don't have any other concerns. A lot of our research has shown that we are probably planting more soybean seed than we need to to be um, efficient or most profitable. So I think we got a buffer zone that would take up that 5%. Um, I do think you gotta you gotta look to your own experience in your own fields. Um, I've had the experience where I will spout off about how we don't need to seed as much as as some guys want to, and then they get into a spring where they've made a reduction in their seeding rate on the planter and encountered really challenging no-till conditions. So they were scratching around and doing some stand counts. Um, so you've got to think back to whether uh, your stand counts have been in the comfort zone where you have plenty of stand out there or if you've been on the bubble before. Um, yeah. Craig, would you say, is there any lasting effects once we get into emergence and vigor once we get to that point? Or what, what's your experience been there as you've, you've been a soybean guy your whole life? You started in soybean research and, and have done a lot of things through soybean uh, through the years. What are, what have you seen as far as vigor goes on, on these, uh, maybe what we call 80 to 85% germ beans? Yeah, so, so that's a really good question, Brent. And, and basically what I've seen and what I've learned over the past years is, is that untreated or treated, when something was tagged less than the ideal germination of 90%, if it was tagged at 85 or 80, the seeds that do come out of the ground 
still are very healthy seeds. Uh, they've got all the vigor that they came with genetically and, and they've established themselves well. You know, the characteristics package that's in that seed is obviously gonna carry it through to the end. And, you know, we talked about earlier planting dates and so forth, and, and that's where you really need to start thinking about adjustments. And then also, John, what you said with, with residue amounts and so forth, you know, so in Northwest Iowa, we have a little bit more conventional tillage when it comes to soybeans. Residue might not be as big of a deal. So maybe the population adjustment isn't as big of a concern. One of, one of the things that I, I do believe in though is that when we do run into a lower seeded or lower germed product that you know seed treatments the fungicide package at a minimum and and i'm a believer in the fungicide insecticide package at a minimum but the fungicide package for sure needs to be on that seed to guarantee that those viable seeds do get out of the ground and establish a nice stand and don't leave gaps and and i think that's that's really critical but uh, the, well, gene the genetics that are in there they're they're there and they will they will be there that's another thing that we, I've had conversations with a lot of people, but I think we really have to stress. If you look at all of these diseases that showed up in the beans that we harvested last fall, some of those can transfer over into this year's crop on the seed. And a seed applied fungicide is going to help us keep from making a bridge through the seed to have things like, now make sure I get these right, but I think Phomopsis, Cercospora, um, uh, pod and stem blight, uh, the diaporth complex, depending upon how you define those differently, all of those were in high incidence on the samples we sent in last fall, and those can carry over with inoculum on the seed, and a seed-applied fungicide will help stop and stop that bridge of the disease into this year's crop. Yep, absolutely, John. No, you know, and those are the diseases. For me, it's the whole diaporth complex in general, because phomopsis is part of that. And, right. And, uh, you know, so fungicide seed treatment really helps get rid of that bridge from going all the way through from the seed to the plant uh, again. So, so again, it's just one more critical factor in my opinion. So we, <clears throat> we've heard a, a number of us as, as agronomists or recommendations and, and by the way, happy, happy agronomy week, oh, that's by, right. the, by the way. And, and thanks to all everybody else out there. That's our sales agronomists and retailers out there as well. But so <clears throat> you've heard a number of people trying to promote, early and earlier soybean plantings. I think last year was probably one of the higher years that I've seen a number of, a significant number of beans planted before corn. Uh, and that's, and I, I don't think that's a bad trend, but what do we do with, with a 80 to 85% tag bean and I wanna go plant on April 25th? Yep, yeah, that's a great question. And that's, like you said, we've been promoting that consider planting your beans first. Um, and I think it's a consideration uh, to have in there. And I, I would look back again to my own experience. Um, have we had the instances where we've already dropped our seeding rates? And have we been in the situation where, where we've wondered if we had enough stand? I can't make a general recommendation, but if we've got 50 degree soil temperatures, we've got good residue management, and that bean is 80, 85%, I'm probably not jacking my populations up over what I would normally do because I feel like I've got a buffer zone with the population that I'm that I'm setting the planter with. Um, it's kind of a judgment call whether you feel you're conservative on seeding rate or whether you're already aggressive on seeding rate um, from what you've seen on your own farm. Uh, again, 
I really would stress that that germ is only a portion of the metrics that will change your planted population down to your established stand. So I'm. Yeah, I, I agree, John. And, and, you know, so from my own standpoint, I, I've always been a believer in uh, when it comes to pushing high yields in soybeans is to always make sure you have a really good final stand. So one of the things that I have a luxury to do when I'm in doing research plots is the fact that I can overplant something and and then hopefully be able to separate and evaluate varieties based on planting a population that's maybe more than recommended. And if you're in that 80-85% germ range and, and you're at the end of April, you know, John, you make really good points that it, it comes down to a lot in your field situation and where you already are as a grower and how high your populations are. You know, if I looked at my some of my own plot work and my own farm data that I have, you know, planting 175,000 and 85% germ, you know, right. you've got enough already. And right. I'm going to probably even say at 80% germ, you've probably got enough already. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but if you're only planting 140 to begin with. Well, and we've got some guys that we have talked down to lower seeding yeah. rates on their best ground. And those would be the ones where we just maybe bump it up to the percentage that we are below a yeah. normal germ test. Yep. I, I agree 100%. So again, it's, it's going to be case by case basis. But, um, you know, what, what I was always told 20 years ago by some growers, it's like, it helps me sleep at night. And uh, or or they say, well, I need 11 seeds per foot and 30 intros. And I need one for bugs, one for hail, one for disease and one for the cultivator. And then I still got seven, <laughs> I still got seven left. You know, so so again, you know, those days are, are quite a few years ago, but but again, it's it's about managing a good final stand. Yeah, and so the other thing to to tie into that, if you are worried about the cold soil temps and conditions early, the one thing you have in your favor is lower planting populations would be less of a detriment to yield if the beans are planted early. They'll have more time to compensate for themselves. So I think we should throw that in the conversation. So say, say you're not in that camp of planting some beans early. Say you're dedicated to get your corn in and then beans are gonna follow. You know, the later we get in, in a worst case scenario, if this thing does get late, we've gotta readjust populations again because we have seen a greater number of times that you get a response to the higher populations if you're getting late. So if we get pushed back past the 10th of May or so, we probably ought to be adjusting those things back up um, because they don't have as much time to branch out. Yep, yeah. absolutely. You know, the earlier you plant, the more nodes that are on that plant to hang pods and the more your yield's going to go up theoretically. So, and then the later you get, the shorter the plants are, the fewer the nodes. So the population adjustment needs to, needs to go. It needs to go up. Yeah. So, but if historically, if you've had a standability problem in the past, you could probably afford to keep your 80, 85% beans where they're at, Absolutely. lower that population back and help your standability, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that in a lot of cases. We've got guys doing scripts right now. Uh, they're just like manually scripting in climate and they're going by soil type and on their rich dirt where they have good yields, they're dropping those down, but then going ahead and continuing those pops up on the side hills where they don't have mm -hmm. the standability risk. And it's a practice we've done for several years, I'd say quite successfully. Yeah. Um, good grower satisfaction anyway. Yeah. We feel like we lower our risk of having lodging on the most rich acres and we increase our yield on the tougher acres yeah yeah you know and, and we get onto the lobe the, the the des moines lobe of soil types you know if we run into some ph you know on those low spots i always want guys to to jack it up just a little bit more to make sure you get the final stand and to fight the ph issues you might have but 
case-by-case basis. I agree with your assessment, John, wholeheartedly. At, you know, Southwest Iowa, you got to adjust those populations for the really fertile stuff and make sure you keep the standability up there. But he's got the side hills and terraces, too, yep. that we got to keep them up, and, and that's where the scripting... I, I know I've dabbled in it for years, and I've been a huge believer in that soybean script uh, through the hills. So um, it certainly pays off from what, what I've seen. John, you mentioned it. Uh, I think the other uh, fly on the wall or elephant in the room is probably the getting late piece, right? So, well, we're not late yet. No, <laughs> but I well, think we got a lot of work to do. I think next week is crop insurance date, right? And yep. so I think there's a lot of ammonia to be put on yet. Uh, and so when we start thinking about ammonia uh, application, maybe going to liquid. What's the plant? But you know, can I plant right back if I RTK? You know, there's a million different scenarios that we've heard out here in the field, right? Uh, actually, saw some you know anhydrous going on earlier this week in in west central iowa on the stand on the ridge tops didn't look terrible um but i was a little nervous but i what have you seen john yeah well i think the the big concern is the crunch that we're going to be in so we got to just look back historically to what has caused some issues we had ammonia burn last year and the factors that made it worse of course was just the proximity that you're in there planting after you put the ammonia on but the depth that the ammonia is run makes a difference. If you run the ammonia deep, you have a lot less chance of that zone of ammonia being hot enough at the seed to cause bad damage. I've got people that have talked about running their ammonia and planting in close proximity, but they've got RP, RTK and they're gonna, split, they're gonna split the rows. And I think that's fine if mechanically you can do that. Um, and uh, we've got other people maybe switching to liquid doing a liquid injection bar because it'll be safe. They won't have to worry about ammonia burn and they can get the liquid. But the caveat to that is if we end up dry, you can still have salt burn in that zone of liquid. So keeping the fertilizer source away from the seed, whether it's the time delay or a spatial difference, we just got to keep those basics in mind so we're not uh, walking on even fields later on. Yeah, yeah one, one of the things I do worry about also, Brent, is is just from a standpoint of the crunch time that John mentioned is the fact you'll see a guy out there with a 17 knife bar and a 250 horse tractor and therefore his depth is not eight inches it's only four or five and then and then he's he's in a he's in a hurry and then the next day he's out planting and I'm just you know you just shake your head and you hope like heck it rains enough that it yeah. gets the zone mellowed out where that anhydrous is but yeah. that's another big worry that I have yeah yeah, and there's going to be a lot of heavy equipment that has to cross these fields and the compaction potential yeah. from what I've been out in these fields. Um, I just think we got to do our best to get the work done without without making a, a mistake that's going to really pay for us if the if the faucet turns off later on this summer. Yeah, so I heard uh, our friend, uh, another friend of the podcast, Rich Judge, mentioned a week ago, Craig and I were at a meeting, his his main comment was keep the heaviest equipment in the shed as long as you can. Yep. I mean, that's, I think, good advice. But like you said, we can only go to a point here where the crunch is going to get real. Um, and But we can, we can I, I, I've been surprised in the fields that I've been in on my own, uh, how well they shaped up in the last week and a half. And so I think, I think we're closer than what we realize. We just need, uh, we just need a little cooperation and, and a little patience, I think, so. 
Yeah. Yep. I think the best thing a person can do is have uh, be as flexible as possible. So if you have the ability to plant beans, if you're not doing ammonia, be ready to do that. Um, but just have your plan in place so that you can respond to the different conditions. This may not be the year where you get your fertilizer on, start planting corn and switch to beans. You got to know what operations you can do and, and do them where conditions are fit. You know, we had that rapid melt. And if you haven't driven all your fields and you're in the hills, there was erosion with that melt. And the first thing to do is make sure these fields are fit to to plant. Um, yeah. That was a bigger factor than I thought of. And our thoughts and prayers go out to all the guys that were so yeah. negatively impacted on the flood acres. I mean, there's a lot of messes that have to be cleaned up out there. So they're... Yeah. We've got our share of challenges already for this year. Yeah, uh, never fails. We're always got a curveball somewhere, somewhere in the state. Uh, so we've touched on soybean, soybean quality. We've touched on our weather conditions and upcoming spring. Let's go to finalizing our corn um, recommendations. So, got the corn in the shed. Got the planter out. It's good to go. Do we have the right population recommendations set for each farm? What what are some options and tools to double check those and just verify your your thoughts and and or scripts or whatever you're looking at? Well, we've got um, a lot of folks using the advanced scripting in the climate. Um, it's a great tool. We've got the uh, seed optimizer for um, our DeKalb seeds. You can go online and get the optimum seeding rate. All these things are great tools that help give us a picture how the different products respond to population. But I still believe that a grower has to adapt them to his production system. When we look at yield response, we are measuring the response by hybrid, but we don't know everything about your seeding environment. So occasionally we'll get a product in the seed advisor or the uh, seed rate optimizer and it's out of our comfort zone. Um, and it's it's not a bad thing to buffer that with practices that have proven successful on our farm. For instance, if you have narrow rows, all your farms are in great fertility and you do timely harvest, you're probably the candidate to push up to the top of those ranges that the uh, recommendations would spit out. But if you've tried that before and run into stock cannibalization issues or just really not seen the return on investment for the extra seed, it's not bad to use your own influence along with the tools that are provided to, for us to, to come up with that best recommendation. Yeah. So we've got the, the optimizing tool on the website, right? Yep. So that's on aganytime.com, right? Yes. Uh, we've got the advanced scripting tool in climate is a, is a huge benefit that, that helps your, you know, your variable rate scripting by environment. Uh, and, and provide you, you know, that's re both of those tools are research based prescriptions. Correct. They come with recommendations. Uh, the recommendations are influenced by the gen studies that we do where we plant yep. our major hybrids at different population levels to generate response curves. Yep. Yeah. And, and Craig, you, you've done a, a number of studies. You've kind of been our, our narrow row, uh, research guru uh in the not part of the state and you've got you're lucky enough to have a, a lot of that equipment to compare that um you know 20s versus 30s you know uh, you know you're, you're still looking to whether no matter what how should i say this no matter what row spacing you're in 
a hybrid's still going to respond accordingly in your row spacing, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So so basically, I've been doing some small, smaller scale studies on population for these last several years, and twenties and thirties both, and with the DeKalb brand pretty much exclusively. And, and and the one thing that I have learned is that corn will respond to population given it the opportunity. You know, and and it's not just one hybrid; it's lots of hybrids. Some do it better than others, but there's there's always that range. And and what I've learned is that if Mother Nature gives us a good year where we've got ample moisture and the fertility's there and you've done everything as best as we can, usually somewhere in that mid to higher range of what's normal, you know, so I would call normal for Northwest Iowa somewhere between 33 and 35,000 plants per acre in a 30 inch row. And so in a given year where you get where you get the, the accelerated yield potential with a higher population, you probably start dancing around the 36 to 37, even all the way up to 39,000. And again, that's in 20s or 30s. It'll do it in both. And uh, you know, so again, we've got that norm. But when you know your fields and you know you can do the scripting that we have and those capabilities, I think you need to push some of these numbers. To maximize the return on the investment and put it together with all the management you know absolutely you can't take a, a high-end population and put it into a field that doesn't have the other upper end management things like the fertility being in the optimum to high levels and fungicide when we get to that dense crop canopy i mean i think a lot of people are to the point where fungicide on corn and beans has proven to be a really good return on investment and they're doing it on a lot of acres but if you are pushing that population it becomes even more important and I, and I would even add in there too John and this is kind of something that I've thought about just driving down the road here for the last uh, couple of weeks but even my harvest dates I think have influenced my yield data results as far as if I'm out there just a little bit earlier than normal and when I say earlier I mean I'm talking like a week or less you know yeah. whatever's normal in your area you're out there a week before harvesting corn and it might be yeah a couple points wetter and what have you but that's when I really see, I feel like my yield differences are separated a lot better and you can really tell the differences uh, because you've, you've gotten all the kernels off those plants. Right. So And you haven't let every hybrid dry down no, to the and, same 16%, and, right? And get, and get beat up, you know, get beat yep. up by windstorms in October and things like that. And, uh, you know, last year, for example, I got, I got them all done at the end of September and 38,000, you know, that was the, that was the sweet spot, you know. Yep. It wasn't it wasn't thirty three thousand, it was thirty eight that did really well. So yeah. so again, and that was both in twenties and thirties. It it did really well. Yeah. So yeah. Well guys, uh any last thoughts here before we go? We've covered yeah, pretty I mean, much most everything that I, I can think, think the, of. I think the theme is just be as flexible as you can and pay attention to conditions. Uh, we can't get caught up in the calendar date and the amount of work in front of us. We want to make sure that everything we get done, we do the best we can. Yeah, I, I guess I would say still, still plan to manage for high yield, right? I mean, oh, yeah. that's still your plan. Uh, we got plenty of time. Uh, still make those those plans for your. Uh, correct population your whether it's side you know we we had a whole podcast last year about this time and what what are those things right so it's you know split timing of nitrogen uh more population your fungicide insecticide all those things right uh, are still in play uh don't go adjusting those until you know maybe uh six weeks from now probably yeah, we're so, still got good potential yep yep you know we're gonna we're probably gonna have a wide window window of planting no matter the crop corn or soybeans yeah. and 
and uh, it's it's one of those things where we will get it in the ground. We're pretty resilient. Yep. You know, a lot a lot of farmers will will keep pushing, and uh, they'll do the best they can. And again, of course, we got to be patient and not get anxious about those those uh, time frames and those calendar dates. But but we we will get her done. So yep. just it'll we'll just have to wait and see. In a given year, we generally walk more fields uh, disappointed that we're done in poor conditions rather than just late planted. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. You heard it here first. Craig Lamore still has a cultivator for beans in the shed. So. <laughs> and he knows how to use it. And he knows how to use it. <laughs> anyway, thank you, guys. And, and we'll look forward to another update here on the Iowa Agronomy Update here in a, in a couple weeks. And we'll hopefully uh, have some equipment out of the sheds and, and uh, ready to roll. So thanks again, and, and we'll hear again from you later. Thanks. Take care. Yep, thanks.